Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. That would be Mr. Briscoe. I would be Bradshaw. And if you built a Mount Rushmore, you always talk about in sports about who's going to be on it. If you built one for referees and professional wrestling, this man is on it. And everybody's Mount Rushmore. And I want to have a little disclaimer here. James Beard, who I'm talking about, Texas Hall of Famer, Cauliflower Alley Club Hall of Famer. He's the one that originally hired me in Dallas, sent me to Japan for the first time, and Mr. Briscoe, Gerald Briscoe, who shares stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw, he's the one that hired me in WWE. So for all of you that are mad about that, it's these two gentlemen's fault right here that I'm in the wrestling business. <laughs> James, welcome to the show. Hey, John, how you doing, man? James, welcome to the show. I've already apologized to the WWE <laughs> universe for a mistake. Everybody's entitled to one mistake right in their career. And you know, we're looking at mine. So I apologize. But yeah, it yeah, comes I, down, it all boils down to where it's your fault. It, it, so so this is this is why we've had heat all these years, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. James, tell me, you saw this guy. I mean, you know, even walking in from Abilene Christian, where, by the way, he is in the Football Hall of Fame there, and we, we were very proud of uh, JBL for that accomplishment and uh, was named, uh, you know, one of their best all-time, I think, of, of the last five centuries or something like that. <laughs> he goes back a long ways. But I know he, you know, he, he, he listened to his story the great uh, Dallas Sportatorium that was world famous arena back back in his day there, and uh, I, I, that's probably where you got your start too. But do you remember when this long, ganky, probably really pimple faced guy walked into the Sportatorium <laughs> and said, "I want to be a wrestler." I remember very well. Yeah, I, I was I was sitting in the in the booking office with Akbar, and uh, I think I think Manny Fernandez might have been in there too. I don't remember, but. We, we were sitting there talking about the, the, the TV. We were going to, it was on Friday night. We were going to shoot TV that night. And, and uh, um, uh, we lost our main event. The, the, the guy, the, I can't remember who it was supposed to be against Rod Price. Rod Price was it, our it champion. It was Lou Perez. Lou Perez. Uh, Al Perez is working. Al, 
Okay, I couldn't remember, I couldn't remember who it was, but I, I can remember that they were supposed to be there, and for whatever reason, well, they were going to show up, and uh, we were talking about that, trying to fill that hole, thinking about what we were going to do that night, and, and hear a knock on the door, and it was in the middle of the afternoon, and uh, go after the door, and there, there was this tall, long, blonde-haired guy standing there, you know, <laughs> he, he, he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm John Layfield, I, I'm looking for a job. And there's your main event. Yeah, it's just like that simple. You know, he walked in, we'd sit down to talk to him, and we found out that he'd been training with Brad, Brad Reddington. And, uh, you know, we figured if he'd been training with Brad, he probably knew a little bit anyway. And uh, we talked a little while, and, and we thought, well, you know, what the hell? And we just threw him in there. And and the, the and the deal was, you know, I get in the ring with him, and 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 if he's the shits, then <laughs> then I just tell I tell Rod pin him. It's over with, you know. And and if he's okay, then you know we've got a big guy that maybe we can do something with, and 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 just let it go for twenty minutes or so, and that's what happened. He he uh, got in the ring, and I could tell, you know, right off he was gonna he had at least knew knew how to get through a match, and uh, and so we went we went about twenty or thirty minutes or so with Rod and. That, that's how it started and you know from there on we were just like that you know in my first real match jerry i get down there just looking for a job and they go we got it we got a spot for you, rod price and i've been watching yeah. tv and I, I thought well that's the champion i don't want to yeah. what I doing the champion? i'm on last in the main event <laughs> and they don't tell me anything i mean they tell me you know rod's going over but i think i'm sure that's what it was but they don't tell me anything I, well, how long are we going and james like we're not sure yeah you know that's the thing that's the thing a lot of people they don't realize the importance of a, of a great referee inside that ring and a, they don't really know what all his job entails and that night your your job was not only to count one two three but your job was an evaluation job and uh, absolutely and, 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 and a kind of whisper in john's ear you know where to go with the match and everything and Having a great referee and having a, having a real ring general in there is so important to any match. Any great match that, that's ever been produced has a great referee in that ring with it leading the way there. So, James, I know your hard work from being in the ring uh, all those years, and I can't tell you how many times referees say my ass when you have those just those metal blackouts and you don't know what, what to do next, you know. Somebody like Layfield slapped you up the head and all your thoughts go out. He said, I'm going to beat the <laughs> shit out of that guy. So what do I do next, you know? And then you always turn to referee. Help, what do I do, right? Well, you know, that happens. That happened a lot back in those days when we actually worked matches. <laughs> you know, but now 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 they they have everything laid out. And, it's you know, it's, if something goes wrong, it's just gone. It's just a mess. But. But in those days, at least you could get away, get out of things like that because you had somebody in there that knew how to get you out of it. And, right. and and having a referee in there that knows how to do that made, made a big difference to those guys. You know, I'm, I'm sure uh, – I'm glad to hear you say that because a lot of people don't appreciate that these days. Well, it's just experience of being saved so many times by so many referees. Of course, we had the legendary uh, Stu Swartz down here, you know, one yeah, of the greatest of great time. And, great and also Sonny Myers, who was not only a great performer but turned out to be a great referee because he, he knew that – the issue that the talent had had to uh, deal with while they were in the ring. So uh, Sonny, Sonny was right there too. There's just been a, a, a plethora of great referees, not only here in Florida, but all over the country. And there, 
they're as John John knows they're they're so valuable to to each and every successful match. There's a, there's a real trust factor there too that, that a lot of people don't understand. You know that 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 you have to develop with guys. You know, that, well, I was very lucky being at the sportatorium for so many years, and the guys knew me, and they knew that, that if I said something, that I was just trying to help them along. You know, and 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 that was my that was my goal to make the match better. And, and well, not only not only was you was you an outstanding referee, but you had so many roles there at the sportatorium for uh, uh, world class wrestling. Or just name some of some of the other titles. I know you you helped with the matchmaking, the booking, and all that stuff. And yeah, developing yeah. talent and 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 the kind of a policeman on the road trying to keep guys like Clayfield uh, <laughs> on the straight and narrow. <laughs> Well, you know that's that's actually true. That all, all of those things kind of came into play over the years. And you know, when you first start out, you just you're just trying to get accepted. And then and once that happens, and you start begin beginning to get to a point to where the guys trust you and 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 understand that that you know your job and you're, you're going to do the job the way it's supposed to be done. And and then everything changes. Then then you then they start uh, coming to you for things, and 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 the office even comes to you for things. And I was, for a lot of years, I was a guy that was kind of the go-between between the office and the talent, you know, where the office says, okay, I want I want this finished and I want this to happen. And, and you go to the talent, you go like, I, I know he's not going to like this, you know. <laughs> and so you got to find a way to tell them, you know, in, in, in a way that, that they can accept it or, or go back to the office to say, hey, he said he'd do how about doing it this way? And then, then you become kind of a negotiator in, in, in those those situations sometimes. So it's a lot, a lot of things get involved in being a referee more than just in the rings. And and, and I was lucky enough to get to that point. And I I really kind of enjoyed that role. And one of the things well, what what that what what that is basically is that trust factor, as you said earlier. You know, you, the office got to trust you that you're you're delivering the right messages, right? And and the, and a talent's got to got to accept your word too. So you develop that trust with 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 the talent, and you you know you're 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 three quarters away home, and then uh, you know the rest of it's just dealing with the office. But it's an awesome responsibility, and uh, and and uh, you know they're they're. There's a lot of referees, but there's a few great ones, and you're right up there with 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 well known at Mount Rushmore referees, as John said earlier. Uh, thank you, Jerry. That means a lot to me. It really does. You know, Jerry. It, one thing having... about one thing about trust was the office trusted James so much. You know, I worked with some great referees. I've always said James is the best referee I've ever worked with, and and I have a lot of love for the Hebners, for Kyoto Corderas, Nick Patrick. I think could also call a match, for, you know, like like James could do, but he I never was in that role with with Nick to do that. Mickey Henson was a great referee, but Skandar Akbar had such confidence in James. It was one of the few referees I've ever been able to seen being able to do this. Now, like I said, Nick Patrick would probably do it too, but I didn't ever saw him in that role is Akbar would send out a really young guy with a veteran and he could rely on James to help call the match for the young guy. So James would tell him not to jive. James would tell him what to do. James would be his instructor in the ring, and had Akbar had so much trust in James that he could, he had a lot more flexibility with his roster because of that. And uh, that's something I always thought James was just an amazing thing. I've never seen anybody else be able to do it to call a match as the referee. Well, and, and you know, and even with experienced guys, sometimes you, if, if you feel something and you think maybe this will work. Then I would try to suggest things. I, I never felt like I was trying to actually call their match for them, but I always wanted to try to insert things if I felt like some, hey, maybe this will work. I can say this, you know, try this. 
but but at the same time, I kind of learned I learned a lesson one time over in Japan about uh, uh, another part of that, that 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 you have to think about, and that's making sure that the talent you're you're working with understands that that's what you're doing. You know, I, I was in the ring one time with Rick Martel, the first time I'd ever worked with him over there. Great wrestler, great guy. Um, <clears throat> worked with him many times after this, but we were in there, and, and I and I felt something, and I I had been used to doing that over there even. And and uh, I said, you know, how about this? And Rick looked at me kind of like with daggers, you know, like like uh, you're the referee, you don't call the match, you know. And I'm like, oh, you know. So I just shut up, and we got through the match. And after it was all over with, we're back in the dressing room, and Rick walked up to me and he says, you know, he said, I'm sorry, I snapped at you. She said, he said after after you said that, I thought that's exactly what I should have done. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I said, well, I appreciate that. But, not, but I learned a lesson there that, 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 that those guys have to trust you too yeah. and know you well enough that, that, that you're just trying to help them along too. Even, even the guys that were as great as Rick was. Hey, Jay, you're seeing a, you're seeing a totally different picture than what we as talent see. You're seeing the big picture where we're just seeing that, that little, little, Tulsa there we're going through at right. the time, but you, you, you're, you're able to see that big picture there. And, uh, you know, it, it take, it take, takes a hell of a man. And, 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 uh, and I've seen, I've seen guys exactly like Martell only, you know, kind of referee comes in. Why the hell you, you tell me what to do in my match? Well, I'm sitting over there thinking, man, because he knows more than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, well to, to Rick's credit, he, he admitted after he said, you know, I, that that's exactly what I should have done. I just, I just, you know, I just, it just took me by surprise when you said that. I wasn't used to it, and, and I said, well, you know, if you don't want me to say anything, I won't say anything. He said, no, no, that's okay. I just, just, I know now, you know. Hey, James, you, uh, you were singing music, playing music all over Dallas. You have great musical talent. Though, yeah. For anybody that knows, well, thank you. knows yeah. that. And uh, then you got into uh, refereeing by your contacts you made through uh, the music industry, guys coming right. in, listening to you sing, things like that. So you're like Jerry Briscoe and I. You've, you've never had a real job, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can put it that way, yeah. <laughs> so which was wilder you know back in the 80s people people don't know about the 80s that didn't live the 80s you know michael hayes says he can't remember the 80s which probably is true i love they, michael but did michael remember him <laughs> the 80s was so crazy he has a slight memory loss it's the decade of the 80s <laughs> yeah I could, I could remind him of a few things <laughs> i bet you can let's hear some of them <laughs> which was wilder the music or the wrestling which was which was what? Wilder. Which was Wilder? Wilder? Oh wow! Uh, honestly, in my case, definitely the wrestling. <laughs> definitely the wrestling. Uh, uh, the music was uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was my, kind of my first love, and 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 I still still do some of that. But uh, um, yeah, as far as being wild and crazy, uh, no question about that. The, the wrestling is the craziest. You started the Sportatorium in 85, I believe it was, you know, right yeah. at the kind of the peak toward the end of the, you know, the initial really hot, hot period of, of the Von Erich. Yeah, I missed, I missed the, the goody part at first, yeah. Who was Booker then? Uh, Gary. In, Gary Hart? Yeah. What was the heat with uh, Gary and Fritz? I mean, Gary, Gary had worked with Fritz since the 60s. I mean, this was a long-running feud on television, but it was a feud behind scenes, too. Uh, that they really didn't like yeah. each other, right? Well, it was kind of a love-hate relationship. Uh, uh, Gary, 
Fritz liked to blame Gary for a lot of things that the boys did. What do you do that? You blame the booker. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the truth is, is that, that, uh, that Gary was kind of like a knuckle to him. You know, he, he kind of treated him that way. And, uh, uh I, I don't, I don't think Gary really adversely influenced those guys in, in, in any way, you know, like, like Fritz was trying to insinuate, but uh, that was part of it. And part of it would, would be that, that, you know, Gary would want to do a certain thing and like a, like a typical uh, promoter owner, even though Fritz had been a great star himself, he, he, he you know, he'd insert his, uh, opinion in there and sometimes that opinion didn't jive with what gary wanted to do and and you know it was one of those kinds of things where he he would he, he just he, he hated him but he loved him at the same time i think gary was a very unique cat back back in his days you know he was legit tough guy too you know a lot of people yes. look at gary i mean gary come from the streets of chicago and uh you know, he grew up, he even got in a business a little rough way, you know, with, with, with yeah. some shady type people. And he had to, had to leave Chicago when I think he went to Texas, you know, just to get away from that yeah. element down there. So Gary was a guy that was very strong in his opinion. I was so fortunate when I was very beginning, when I was, I was, I was in a loop with Gary from Australia to Carolina to Florida to Georgia. And, and then, uh, you know, it, it, but just sitting under that learning tree, and I become great friends with him and his wife Twinkle, and uh, and uh, we, we uh, I'd go to dinner with him all the time. But uh, what a wonderful person! But man, Gary was a uh, he was he had his opinions, and he was going to express them whether you know Vern or Fritz or Eddie or Crockett or whoever. Uh, uh, Gary Art was going to express his opinions. And then that's where the problem would start a lot of times because Fritz was a very stubborn, hard-headed guy himself, and, and uh, um, you know they would butt heads over certain things, and 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 they just they had that love-hate relationship. And I, I considered Gary a mentor myself. He was a guy I learned a, tr- a ton from. I mean, a lot from. And we were we were good buddies and friends up until the day he died. And uh, uh, I, I just I loved being around him. He was so smart. And, and yeah. just always knew what to do, but in the right situations. And and, I, and my, I guess when when I get involved in the creative side of things, a lot of a lot of what I do comes from the things I learned from Gary Hart. And you had uh, quite a few guys there, James, that that were really wrestling brainiacs. I mean, yeah, you, you had Michael Hayes who was just coming in, who to me is just that guy's a genius, man. He can yeah, he can put together six months. Uh, scenario in his head on the spot you had fritz who was also very good you know did you realize how good that territory was no i mean not just hot but they had like six cameras shoot they had mic'd up the rings they were really ahead of a lot of different people uh because of the production that they did did you realize at the time that this territory is head and shoulders better than a lot of others maybe not the best but head and shoulders better than a lot of those around in texas i'm I'm not sure that everybody kind of realize it on that on that level i think i think that uh, we knew that that there was a lot of cutting edge things going on production wise that you don't see in other i mean it's very obvious you, you see some tv here and tv there and then then watch what world class was doing and, and it was different you know it was it was kind of the precursor to what vince ended up doing you know he, he may he turned it into uh, something beyond just the black and white plain old uh blah type event you know it turned into something that was really 
really an event for people to watch a TV show on Saturday night or whatever, Sunday morning or whatever it was. And, and, and yeah, that, uh, you know, it was obvious that that was different. Uh, as far as everything else goes, you know, there were, there were great, there were great territories that, I mean, Jerry, Jerry was home based down there in Florida. The, my goodness, you know, it didn't get any better than that. You look at the guys, but then, but then a lot of those guys came to Texas, you know, is sometimes you'd see those guys in Florida and then the next thing you know, they'd be in Texas. So you got a little bit of the same kind of thing there. So as far as the wrestling goes, um, I, I, I don't, I think it was beyond just the Von Erics and the, and the Freebirds. You know, we, there was a, there was a plethora of talent there that, that was doing things all up and down the lineup. And, and, and uh, it, it was very special for a while. Yeah. One, one of the guys that we left out of this conversation is a great scandal or act for. When my brother Jack first broke into business around 1965, <clears throat> late 65, scandal was a rookie too. And of course, they traveled together. And I, during spring breaks and during holidays and everything, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd go over to my brother's house, I'd jump in the backseat of that car. And these two rookies, I'd listen to their their philosophy on what was going on. And granted, they were both rookies at the time, but both of those guys had really, really sharp business minds and was, was said, what we need to do, you know, this is the mid-60s, what the business needs to do to elevate to the next level. Scandal was always full of ideals, and I'd sit there with my mouth open, just listen to every word he had to say so. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't around him after he developed that skill. I moved on and he moved on to Texas. I moved on to Florida and other places. And, but I was always just really thrilled when I'd see Scandor or Akbar on the top of a card or hear him because I was there when, when he was first starting out, but he had that business mind from the very beginning and he helped influence me and my brother Jack so much during our rookie learning years you know i think it helped jack to go on and become a world champion uh, i learned so much i can't even tell you how much i learned just riding in the car with skandar akbar and i and i rode thousands and thousands of miles with him and, and uh I learned so much just just listening to him and just talking with him and and, and picking up I, I tell guys all the time when i do clinics and things that that i probably learned more listening than i ever learned in the ring and a lot of guys can't understand that, but I, I really believe that's true. I think I, I think I learned more about my job and how to do my job by listening than I did just actually working in the ring. And and guys I, like Skandar was a huge part of that. Yeah, unfortunately, that's missing a lot now because these guys fly rather than drive, you know, and, and yeah, sitting in yeah. that back seat when you're young and even when you got a few years on you, you know, sitting in that back seat listening is the key to to growing in this business. And it's hard to do when you're sitting next to somebody on an airplane, you got almost be screaming at each other to hear, you know, and, uh, but Scandor, I mean, you listen to 10 minutes to that guy, you, you knew that, you knew that his future was going to be bright in the business. And that turned out to be, be a bright star. And I, you know, I can tell you a little story about that too. I, I had, um, uh, the first time I went to a cauliflower alley was in New Jersey and that was back in, 95 or 96 i can't remember now exactly what year it was but uh the uh, red Bastine was a very good friend of mine and 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 another another guy i considered a mentor and and, and a guy i learned an awful lot from so he got me to go to this thing and, and um the the next morning i got there one day the next morning i got up and went to breakfast with red and i'm sitting there with red Bastine, gorilla monsoon and luthes 
at the <laughs> breakfast table. Wow. And, uh, wow. you know, so, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty heavy company, you know. People pay a fortune and, and, to do that, James. I'm, yeah. For good and, reason. And, and, and so, so somewhere in the conversation, Akbar's name came up. And, uh, um, excuse me, that's Wild Bill Irwin trying to call me. I'll have to <laughs> call him back. Big money. Put him on, man. Put him on. Yeah. 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 Bill Irwin was the like, yeah. please, I don't yeah. mean to cut you off, but Wild Bill Irwin is probably calling you to tell you about his bad payoff he got. I love Bill. <laughs> you know how much I love Bill. <laughs> Bill, we can have a sold-out house. He goes, ah, we're probably going to get stuck on the payoff. There was always something there. <laughs> yeah. Never I happy about Bill. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, get, get get back to the story. Sorry, Bill. Uh, get back to the story. Uh, I'm sitting there with these these three legends, right? You know, and 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 Ack's name came up, and and uh, and the, and Lou started talking about Ack, and I didn't realize at the time, but Lou had a lot of influence on Ack getting started in the business and training him and all that. And and he just went on and on and on about Akbar wrestling, not the manager part, the wrestling. And 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 I came away from that with a, a completely different appreciation for Act skills, you know, and, and and his status. Because there's Luthez, you know, one of the greatest of all time, talking just on and on and on about Shandar Akbar, and and you know that that really made an impression on me, and and then that 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 meant a lot to me too, you know. And I I told Act about it when we went back home, and he, you know, that that you know that big smile would come on his face. Mm-hmm. You know, James Ack was one of the first guys to uh, bench press five hundred pounds. Yeah, fifty. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was, he was legit, man. We we had so much fun because when I broke in, I, I rode with, with you because we were close proximity to each other here out here right. in Texas, and we we go by and pick up Ack, and it was Stone Cold Steve Austin talks about riding with Ack about how it's like a Harvard yeah. class. So many guys do wrestling, and we yeah. I rode with you guys for a couple of years, just like I say, thousands and thousands, not near as many as you did. But what a wonderful experience. Tell a story about Ack in uh, Wilbarger County growing up, Wichita Falls, and the guy he got in a fight with and ha- why he had to join the military, if you remember the story. I, I don't remember that story uh, vaguely, but maybe. You- so here's what, what happened, Jerry, was that uh, Ack, I found out from Dick Murdoch, Ack was getting picked on because he's Lebanese. And they're picking him. He was born in what? Born in Wichita, grew up in Vernon or vice versa. Vernon, Texas. Vernon, Texas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right up 287. And uh, so the act invites the guy out to fight. So they drive out together in the country. Act breaks both of his legs. <laughs> he showed me, he put it in a figure four. And yeah, yeah I, rem- I remember that vaguely now. Yeah. And act drove the guy to the hospital and <laughs> cut him off. So the sheriff comes to act. He's like, dude, they, they want to almost hang you they're so mad at you and he said i understand it was a fair fight he goes the one thing i can offer you if you'll join the military i don't have to press charges and so that's how act ended up serving the country and ended up in germany in the military and then came yeah. back and got into professional wrestling and I, I know a lot about akbar the worst thing i know about akbar is he was a ou football historian <laughs> <laughs> a guy could tell you every statistic. He could tell you about football. Every, every, yeah. It was OU, wasn't Texas, but he was Tex- he was Texas. OU, he was, OU. He was like our our, our friend Jim Ross uh, for being fanatical on on that OU football. I can oh, only yeah. imagine a boring ass ride that him and Jim Ross had. You know, <laughs> <about OU football. laughs> 
<laughs> from Tulsa, uh, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. That well, had to be an interesting go, ride. Well, you know, uh, he still holds a record, which he does, <laughs> by the way, for the longest quick kick in, in OU football history. Did you know that, John? I was. <laughs> 98 yards. He's got the what? still holds the record for a quick kick in OU football. You can look it up. Go to Mr. Google. Mr. Google will tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you. Act, act. you know, the, the, the thing about that is, what was OU doing at their own two-yard line? <laughs> and probably playing Oklahoma State. And <laughs> Bingo. No wonder you got fun. Act got a lot of joy out of giving Jim Ross hell about OU football. In oh, the did he ever. Called him Hammer and well, almost, almost as much as Murdoch and, and Dusty oh, Rhodes. And Layfield. They live. Don't forget to throw Layfield in there either. Yeah. I mean, that, but, yeah, uh, I, Jay, I, I, it, it, was, it was always it was always great on Mondays, you know, when when uh, <laughs> during football season, especially uh, you know that OU Texas uh, uh, weekend. You know, if, oh. if Texas got lucky and, and won the coin toss. They didn't have to win the game, but if they won the coin toss, Layfield would rub that in Jim Ross. Tell Jim Ross was so frustrated he won't throw his cowboy hat down and stop it, man. He used to love to tell the story about Murdoch and Rhodes. One of the years, Texas got up on OU pretty heavy. I don't remember, but halftime, they were way ahead. They snuck over to the other side and found Bill Watts and just gave him hell for the whole second half. And the act thought that was the funniest thing, you know, but, but he knew everything you could think about, about college and high school football. Let me tell you, he was an expert at that. There wasn't a time in Oklahoma didn't lose that Akbar wouldn't say, call Jim Ross, call oh, yeah. Jim Ross. Oh yeah. He just yeah. thought it was the greatest thing ever. There's such a great rivalry between the, the country of Texas and the state of Oklahoma. Well, the, Jerry, you're talking, you're talking about, talking about riding with Akbar and learning. Let, let me tell you a story about this guy. Uh, we're riding to somewhere in West Texas. I hope you don't Texas. say you learned anything from him because <laughs> no, 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 no. I'd have he to call you your card. He wasn't talking. He was in the car with Akbar and and Killer Tim Brooks and myself. Yeah. So we we're, we're going out there. That's a car. We, we we stop at this we stop at this place. I'm gonna get this right too. I, 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 <laughs> we stop at this place to to get some gas and and uh, they had had one of these filling stations that sold chicken, fried chicken and stuff, you know, and, and so we're all in there and, and somebody said something about getting something to eat. And John said, I'll, I'll get a bucket of chicken. So we're going, okay. We all get back in the car. We go down the road about five or 10 miles and that, and killer says, Hey, Hey kid, he's talking to John. He said, kid, uh, why don't you pass me some of that chicken? <laughs> John said, there's none left. <laughs> <laughs> he had eaten a whole bucket of chicken in 10 miles. The day killer died, he would tell me about that fried chicken. I'd love that piece of fried chicken. I just want a piece of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Last thing he told me we were talking about talking to John. I, I got to spend a little time with Killer before he died. Several times I went to visit him a few times and he he, he would talk about John. He'd say, Tell John, send me that chicken. Never <laughs> fell. Hey, what an underrated uh, uh, talent uh, he was. I mean, you oh know, he, he yes. just, you know, he, he was kind of stuck in that one area there. But, man, Brooke Keller Brooks was 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 an underrated talent and one of the best best guys ever in, 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 in stepping that square in circle. He was so believable. 
Well, that that was the thing. He, yeah, that know, was the I, thing. He he made the you know that old Johnny Valentine deal. I don't care what happened, but I, yes. when I get out there, you're gonna believe what I'm doing. He was believable yeah. if you're across from him too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we were we were good friends, but you know, I'd get get in the ring with him sometime, and then he'd come at me, and I'd be thinking, you know, he looks awfully serious about this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I remember I, I tell this story sometimes. I, I, he was working with some young guy, and he had him across the rope, choking him. And I was trying to get him to break, you know, and doing everything I could. And he and Tiller says, pull me back by my ear. Huh. And I'm thinking, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Because if I do huh. that, he's going to he's gonna kill me. So I'd keep patting him on the back and break the hold, you know. And, and he, <laughs> he said, pull me back by my ear. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. So I grabbed him and I just kind of worked it back like this. And he spun around. He started coming at me. And, and I just pointed at my referee shirt. And he stopped. <laughs> you know, and, and it backed off, you know, and after it was over with, I said, I thought you were going to kill me. And he said, no, he said, it got me over, got you over, got me over as being a heel that, that is hard to control, got you over as a referee that could control me. So I learned a lesson what, there too. What an important lesson you learn. Absolutely. Yes. You know, those, those old time heels, they could teach you so much without you even knowing it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I it wasn't thick. I would, the thought was, I don't want to bury him by pulling him back by his ear, but he looked at it a whole different way. It was, it was like, no, that just makes me hard to control. James, I'll tell you a funny story about the first time I met uh, one of the um, dirt sheet guys, you know, in, in Dallas. And I don't know where I met. I met him some, I forget where it was. But anyway, he's telling me about Killer Tim Brooks. And this is the difference in heat and real heat, you know, and, and, and heels that fans like. So he goes, man, I can't stand that killer Tim Brooks. And the first time I'd ever heard the term work rate, he goes, his work rate's terrible. I'd never even <laughs> heard that term. And I'm like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, he's just terrible. His matches are awful. He's just no good. And I said, let me ask you a question. If Stan Hansen were to come in to fight killer Tim Brooks, would you go to see it? And he goes, I'd pay double. I said, <laughs> I said you're right. He's not a good worker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, point. Good right. point. And yeah, that that point killer right. could get heat, man. He could get heat in a freaking yeah. refrigerator. He was so good. Yeah, he, tagged, he tagged with Brody, didn't he, in Japan? Yes, he did. Yeah, and, and now that, that's another story. He, he, he I, I can't ever get it exactly right, but there there was a time when Brody was going to switch switch uh, from. I don't remember switching from Baba to Anoki an or the other way around, one way or the other, and. uh you know, he did it twice. He did it one time. I a lot of switching going on back there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He did it, did it with Snooker one time and he did it with Killer one time. He refused to go out and do it to, to work, you know, and, and, and they finally got in the ring. They finally, somehow they got it all negotiated and Killer was a part of that. And he, he was, he said he was pretty nervous for a while, but they, you know, you know how, how uh, Brody could be. And uh, they got through it somewhere or the other. And then Brody took off, you know, got his money. <laughs> <laughs> James, you're talking about unpredictability. Did you ever have a match that just got totally out of line where you just had no control? I mean, not a working match, but, you know, just two guys uh, going at it like over in Japan or even some, oh, yeah. some little damn wild ass Texas towns. Uh, oh, yeah. I've yeah. seen a few of them, but t tell us about, about the one. Well, yeah, I, I, it was always that way when you got into it. You start working with guys. You talking about Brody and and uh, and Abby. Uh, my first night, first night in the business. Brody had a lot to do with me getting in the business. And uh, uh, 
basically he said, just follow us around. And that's what I tried to do, you know, and, 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 uh, that's how I broke in, you know, and that was, that was totally, I felt totally out of control, you know, with that, that, those two guys, um, and then, you know, we, we had some matches that were set up that were almost like, well, like I, I remember a match with John and, and Black Bart in the, in the Sportatorium. We had a, a Falls Count Anywhere with the Romero brothers, Mark and, and Chris. And uh, then I chased them all over the place. I mean, they went all over the building, everywhere you could go. And, and uh, you know, I was like going running over here, trying to make a count, running over there, trying to make a count. And. <laughs> They had a they had a little tower by the by the sport by the uh, ring at Sportatorium where they they'd have a, a hard camera sometimes or our cameraman would go up there sometimes and handheld. And Bart ended up going up there with Chris. They were on his <laughs> and it was shaking and doing this kind of thing, you know, and going back and forth. And and Bart said, "Ain't you gonna come up here and count?" And I said, "You get your fat ass down from there, I'll count." But I'm not yeah. coming up there. Bart yeah. got up there and couldn't figure out how to get down. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, it was that great. Yeah, yeah. I thought we were going to have to send a pillow up there at breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a there's there's another character for you right there. That black bar is something else, man. Yeah, no kidding. He was he's another guy. There were so many of those guys like that are just under the radar, you know, for some reason. And, and yeah. uh, you know, our business is full of those guys, and our business wouldn't be what it is today with without guys like Black Bart and Keller Brooks and you know, uh, guys like that. People ask me all the time, uh, who are your favorite people to work with? And, you know, they expect you to talk about the big stars, the big names and that kind of thing. But I always say I work, I like working with, with the, with the, uh, what some people call the carpenters or the, or the, or the, the technicians or however you want to put it. But the guys that really had those skills, they could work with anybody that you knew their match was going to be uh, solid. It was going to make sense, you know, and they knew how to work with you. Those are the guys that I enjoyed working with. You know, guys like me and even John who come in during the right time, we were so blessed to have so many of those type guys around, yeah. you know, that would share their knowledge with you. And I, like we open up this show with just sit in the back seat and listen to them. All you had to do is sit in that. If you wanted to learn, sit in that dressing room and listen to them talk back and forth. Then they take you out to the <clears> ring and they show you, they put you step by step and you don't even know you're doing that step by step until you get out of that ring and all of a sudden, Man, what did I do in there? You know, well, that guy over there led me all the way through the damn thing. It, 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 it was a thankless job. And, you know, the, 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 the Juan Sebastians, the Frank Morrells, and, and uh, Johnny Heidelmans, and, and, and the guys like that. I mean, without those guys, there, there'd be no superstars in, in, in the business. Absolutely. So there were so many of them too, that, you know, that don't get those accolades that they should get, you know, and, and, and the appreciation that you get a lot. You know, I know, I know a lot of guys who've made it big stars and they don't even realize that, that those guys put them in the place that like you're talking about, they actually just put you in those places to succeed even in a match or, or, or whatever. And, and uh, some guys don't even understand that, that, that that's what happened to them. That's how they got there. Uh-huh. James, who was it? Uh, the always rumor was it was Bronco Lubitsch, and I don't think it was. I got to work with Bronco, but they always talk about Bronco <laughs> counting three with his foot <laughs> toward the end of when you have all these false minutes. But it, I always heard it was Bulldog Danny Pletches. 
So who was it that would actually, when you do false finish after false finish, the referee who wouldn't get him to start counting with his foot? Was it Bronco yeah, or Danny? Danny? Danny was another one. They, they used to take a lot of old, old wrestlers and guys that retired. That, you know, some of them were all beat up and everything, and they couldn't bend down, couldn't get down or whatever, and, and then make referees out of them. Some of them were pretty good. You know, Bronco. Bronco technically wasn't a great referee, but but he had so much respect that he was effective. Yeah. Uh, but he was he was broken up too. Uh, he would get down on one knee and hold on for the rope and count. That's right. You know? yeah. I, I never actually the, the the rumors are around that that he'd count with his feet. I don't I don't know that I ever remember him actually doing that. But uh, but he my brother my brother told me one time it was Danny Pleasures actually did it. Yeah, my that's, brother's matching when. When when he first started in the business, he was in some little spot show there, and Jack had just left Oklahoma and think he was going to big time wrestling down in Texas, you know, and it was big time for uh, down there. And so they were in one of those little towns, and Jack said he had somebody covered, and the referee Danny just counted one, two, three, get up, kid, you win. <laughs> so get yeah. up so I can raise your hand. Yeah, that's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I saw Sonny Myers do that several times down here in Florida. I think, like you said, you know, uh, a lot of the promoters felt loyal to some of the old timers right. and made them money. So that was their way of taking care of the, the talent that took care of them, you know, when they were able to do it in the ring was by making them a referee. And, uh, and some of them couldn't get up and down. Some of them couldn't lace their damn boots. You had to tie their shoe yeah. strings for them because they were so beat up. And, uh, and those old rings, you know, I'd like to tell people, you know, when did you start? Well, I started in the mid-60s. The rings. Well, the rings were those old ones. You guys. No, they were all of that. Sportatorium probably had. It was all those boxing, you know, stiff-ass, uh, solid iron metal uh, rings that had no give in them, nowhere on in, in the ring where could you find a soft spot to land, you know. So, so those old timers, they 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 took those bumps and those hard ass rings. There were no cushions on the on the outside. You got thrown over that rope, it was 15 foot to that concrete floor. It was a thud yeah. when we landed on it. Yeah, well the, the ring at the sportatorium was actually uh, uh used as a stage for music because on 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 Saturday nights they had what they called the Big Dean Jamboree, which was a televised country music show, and they would take the ropes down. You can still see the ring ring posts on TV, but the the ropes were down, and and they used that as a as a stage for music. It was a it was as hard as a brick bat. That, yeah. that thing was twenty two feet. But, yeah, twenty two feet crisscrossing on those. You didn't get a lot of crisscrossing back. Then. Oh, I remember the first time I worked <laughs> in twenty two foot yeah. ring was in St. Louis. I'd take my step, you know, you get that three and a half, man, where's the damn road at? <laughs> yeah. You still got three more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what a lot of people get in there the first time at the sportatorium and then they go like, man, I can't run across these ropes and, and, the, and it feels like I'm falling on a concrete floor, you know, and, and that, <laughs> that's, that's the way it was there. But, but you're right there. The, the, the old guys, you know, Dick Rains was a referee in Dallas for a long time. And, and, you know, he was a, he was an old timer and, and, and Danny Plachis and, and of course Bronco later on. And, and, um, and, the, and those are the, the, some more guys that I learned from right there, you know, that, that, uh, not just so much about refereeing, but just about wrestling. James, uh, you know, Agbar used to always talk about Harley race and he, he loved Harley race. He really looked yeah. at him, but he said, Harley race was the only guy tough enough to bump in the keel in St. Louis. <laughs> and I told, I told Harley that one day and he was on a cane. He goes, that's why I'm on a cane now. And literally. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. you know, just, yeah. just James, how many times did you have some fat person walk by you 
and Skandar Akbar would call him Mr. or Mrs. Beard. Every, every person that every fat person that walked by, he, he goes, every oh, there's, there's Mrs. Layfield. Hey, Mr. Layfield, Mr. Layfield. Can I it's just I can't. he would find he'd find the fattest, ugliest girl that he could find sitting on the front row, and, and that would be Mrs. Beard or or like a Mrs. Layfield or whoever he was after at the time. Yeah. But that and that damn crop. My, <laughs> yeah. I, I had yeah. I had I've got permanent injury on my ankle from that crop. Uh, James, I'll tell you a funny story about that because I worked with Black Bart and I love Bart. Bart Bart's he meant so much to me, still does. Uh, but I, Bart I, is waffling me. I mean, waffling me. That's pretty unusual for Bart. He was a really good worker. Finally, he goes, That's a receipt, damn it. And, <laughs> well, I, I don't know what a receipt is. So <laughs> I roll out of the ring and I ask Ack. I said, Ack, you know, it's the wrong guy to ask. And I said, <laughs> What's a receipt? He goes, he goes, that means that Bart loves it. He wants you to give him a receipt for that bag. <laughs> he got it. So I go back in there and Bart wobbles me and I go, okay, I got to hit him back. I wham I go, it's a receipt, you idiot. <laughs> uh, Jerry, Jerry, let me, let me tell you. We, 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 John had been there a little while and Bobby Duncan Jr. came in. Uh, <laughs> Bobby. Bobby was like a wild bronc. I mean, he, he he was chasing that quarterback even in the wrestling ring all yeah. the time. You know, so we tried to get him to settle down. It's just impossible to do. Uh, yeah. And and uh, so we, we put these two guys together as a tag team. I even took them to Japan. Like, I don't know how I, don't know how I got talked <laughs> into that. But, but, but so we put these two guys together. And, and the, the first time Johnny Mantell and Bart were tagging together against these two guys, Johnny started the match and he tied up with Bobby and powdered. He's a powdered and he's sitting there with his head on the, on the apron like this. And I'm, and, and I said, get back in the ring. He said, Nope. I'm not getting back in the ring. <laughs> he tried to tag Bart from the outside. And I said, I'm not going to let you do that. You got to get in the ring. But we argued for about two or three minutes there about that. We're going back and forth and stuff. Finally, he rolled in and tagged Bart and rolled right back out again. But that, that's the kind of that's the kind of guys these were when they first started out. It was like a couple of Broncos out there. And I can only imagine. I never had the pleasure of meeting Bobby Jr. I would you know, travel up and down the road in several different territories with, with, with Senior. And what, what a great guy and uh, what a great loss and uh, even bigger loss at, at a, such an early age when, when Junior left it. But always wanted to see him but just see him perform because I had such great respect for it for his old man and how good he was and, and everything but uh, he was a great natural athlete yeah. uh and and he probably could have been a, a great wrestler you know if if, if it had already gotten applied the way it needed to but it, it, he he just needed to settle down you know we, we when I took him to Japan the the, the uh, I think the first night we were over there in Carrickon Hall um, I don't even remember who Bobby was up against or whatever, but he, he, he did something to a guy that I've never seen it before and I haven't seen it since. I thought he was going <laughs> to break his neck. And so Bobby comes out of the ring and he called it the Duncan dog. He said he like right. did it on purpose. You know, so Bobby, can you show us how you did that? No, you can't show <laughs> us a secret. <laughs> but, was but awesome. he was so you know, wild. You know what happened with Bobby was Bobby went back and started playing arena football. You know, we were yeah. tagging and we were getting some interesting going some different places. And then, then Bobby decided to go back and play arena football. And he had a 
after that, he had like six surgeries in the next year because he got hurt and blew out his shoulder yeah. playing football, and that really set him back. Bobby Bobby was a good hand and a good and a wonderful person. Yes, he was. Yeah, great great guy, super guy. James, uh, question for you on uh, wrestling in about '86. Okay, now Michael Hayes. I talked to Michael Hayes, and he would not give me an answer. So I don't know if you know the truth or not. Gino Hernandez. Was that a murder? What did you hear from the boys tonight? Because you, were, I asked Michael about it, and I asked, and Michael said, "Well, I can tell you this: it wasn't an overdose." I said, "This was a murder." He goes, "I'm not saying that." I said, well, "You're saying it wasn't an overdose." I guess did he kill himself? He said, "No." I said, "The only other option is murder." So, do you think somebody knocked off Gino Hernandez? Well, you know, obviously, I don't know, but uh, uh, there's so many things about that whole situation that were really fishy. Uh, uh, Gino was a, uh, he lived the life, you know, he, 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 what you saw in the ring, that was, that was Gino. He, he was a little out of hand when it came to that. But, uh, what a lot of people don't know about Gino is, is that even though he did things and, and the party and had a good time, you hardly ever saw him impaired, unimpaired. I mean, he, he was, he was, uh, he, he was generally had his senses about him. So the fact that he would do that much of something is kind of odd. That's out of character. That's what Michael um, did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the way it all, all went down, there, there's a lot of, lot of suspicious things about that situation that make you, make you wonder, you know, what really happened. Uh, I, yeah. You know, like I said, obviously, I, there's no way you can know, but uh, I, I have my doubts about about it being a uh, an accident. Yeah. During that time, James, say from 84 to 86, you started 85 right in the middle of that. You had WrestleMania started. You had the five territories in Texas from uh, the Funks in Amarillo, Joe Blanchard in San Antonio, Guerrero's in El Paso and Bosch in Houston, of course, Fritz in, in Dallas. Did you see – you had ESPN that just got started with AWA. You had uh, WTBS, which started with first with uh, Joe Blanchard and then Vince on the USA Network. So I, it was coming. The wave was coming. Yeah. Did you guys know it then? And did I'd heard that Fritz had had a talk with Vince. And I talked to some people that said, don't not sure if it happened or not. Was there ever talks between Fritz and Vince about somehow combining forces? I've been told by people who should have known and were there, uh, Akbar being one of them, that they discussed some kind of cooperative situation i don't know uh, i don't know if it was like a partnership or like a, a some kind of some kind of cooperative situation for them because at the time uh, uh, uh world class was 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 really pretty hard to take over you know there i can remember a few times when vince first came to dallas and and they would be at reunion arena we'd be at, at the sportatorium and out draw them you know, right. and and it really didn't break through in Texas until he got Kerry involved, and uh, and Fritz involved, you know, to some degree, um, or at least at least they had they had their their had them on board with them in some way. But I, I don't know. I mean, I mean I, who knows exactly so what that, what the talks were? But but was, uh, it, was behind it that he wanted Kerry, or did he- I think I think that was that that's the story that that was a big part of it. Um, he, he was, from what I understand, Vince was a big fan of Kerry's. 
That's, and, that, and that's the, the story I always heard two guys that, that Vince wanted to carry and he, uh, and, uh, and, uh, that's the only thing he really wanted out of the territory because he knew he could come in eventually and 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 have half a stroke there. But Ken Carey right. was the key to it the whole right. time. Yeah, that's the story I always heard. Yeah, and that, and that very well may be the whole thing. It may be the whole deal. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, the world class was pretty strong there for a while, and and uh, uh, it, it was it was a tough nut for Vince to crack down here. And and uh, he finally finally broke through, of course, after after he did get Terry involved. But but um, it, it was it was a struggle for him for a while. In '86, uh, Fritz dropped out of the NWA to try to go mm-hmm. global. And what I'd heard was that maybe that, that David and and his boys had kind of pitched him to go global earlier, and he didn't want to do it. Did you guys know at that time that it was probably a zero sum game that either either you made it big or you were going to be a, a go head into the tar pit? I don't. I don't think anybody really understood the whole, uh, I guess, degree of of, of uh, importance of doing something like that at the time. Uh, you know, Fritz was just like all the other territory guys. They they you know they they didn't want to step on anybody else's stuff and and, and cause a ruckus and that kind of thing among all those guys. And 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 I think that that was his hesitate hesitation in, in doing something like that. Um, I you know that they had a they had a leg up to do it because they had, they had great TV, great syndication, yeah. um, probably could have had, uh, uh, you know, if the, if the right situation come along when the, when the cable thing started, they probably could have had a, had a, a shot at that too. You know, I don't know. Um, so many things, so, so many things changed in Dallas after David died though. You know, when, when, when David died, I think, uh, the leadership of, of the company was, always going to kind of be flapping out there in the wind a little bit because he was the only one of the of the boys that had the business sense to to, to handle things uh and you know jerry jerry was around him in florida and the, you know the stories we hear is that you know he was he was being groomed a little bit to to be something bigger well that, um, that's uh, that's absolutely right james i mean we had him down there of course eddie and, and fritz went way back so they right uh, as you said earlier there was always exchange of of, of talent between Fritz and, and Eddie, but, uh, David come down and when David come down, we, we, we were told, you know, uh, you know, we been my brother and I and Dusty and, and a couple other guys that were up there a little bit, uh, in partnership, but this guy, this guy's being groomed. So we've got to really take care of David down here. And, and you're right. I mean, uh, the, all the guy, all the Von Eriks I, I, I passed by and worked with, David had the most business sense and the most logical and, and the most down to earth guy that you'd ever want to meet. And, uh, but he was, he, he was, he was next in line. He was, he was, he was one that was touched and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, getting ready to, to make that next step. And, uh, there was never any doubt when, when he left Florida, that this kid could carry the ball. Yeah. He, he was a, he's a special guy in, in a lot of ways in and out of the ring. But, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think, had he lived, you know, who knows what might have happened in Dallas. Uh, a lot of things could have changed. Uh, as far as the, the situation with Vince goes, though, who knows? You know, and you just don't know what the, what what was going on behind the scenes for sure. But, but uh, I have been told that there was some talking going on anyway. The after that, you had uh, the USA step in and USWA step in, which uh, you know, Kevin 
has said he didn't really like, and, and apparently Jerry Jerry didn't, <laughs> didn't really like him. So, you know, it, it was, apparently it was mutual. So, <laughs> yeah. Were you, were you, you were going to Japan back and forth at that time. But yeah, yeah thank there. God. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was I, I was working there when you know I, I, when I was home. You know, so I'd be in Japan sometimes six or eight weeks at a time, and and when I come home, I do TV there at the Sportatorium. And when all that happened and all, and and uh, uh, it was a it was a weird situation. You know, the the whole thing uh, uh, because you know Memphis was such a different style than than what we were used to in Dallas. The whole the way it was run, the whole thing, and it's, I'm not saying anything bad about it one way or the other. It's just just different, you know. Well, and, and James, had, James, what to do? Memphis was still an old traditional run style territory with old yeah. traditional values and, and traditional match, matches and things like that. Where Dallas had been, had already been touched by world class TV. You guys were the progressive <laughs> ones. You guys were the ones way out there that Memphis kind of looked at. What the hell are they doing there? You know, we need to yeah. reel them back in when in real life, Memphis needed to. People, like, people thought hardcore was invented in the mid nineties with ECW. It wasn't. It was. <laughs> no. it, was invented, it was invented in several places before. But oh, one place yeah. was that sport yeah. on Katie's the, the Texas Death matches. That those were the original <laughs> hardcore matches. There yeah. were tears over the head. I mean, it was blood every night. It was. It was a rough. Yeah, it was crazy. Point to work. Yeah, no question about that. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a different world, but. Yeah, the, the 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 when USWA came in, it 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 uh, it was a it was an odd situation for us there. You know, with the, uh, some of the some of the talent from world class were still around, and uh, you know, and then they brought that influx of guys in. You know, with with Lawler and and Jeff Jeff Jarrett and Dundee and and uh, Dutch and all those guys. You know, and and it's just just different. You know, and, and the, fans had to, the fans had to take a dump on that style after seeing those young salyan do that that you guys had in there, Freebird, Devon Eric, and Chris yeah. Adams, and all those guys like at the Geno's, and then all of a sudden be hit with no knock on my brother Jerry the King and and, and Dundee and those guys like that. But man, it was it was night and day. It was like a green light and a red light. Yeah. You know, Memphis yeah. was at a green light, a red light, and and Dallas was. That green light where it pedaled to the metal, man. It was a it was a hard sell for the fans there. It really was, uh, and 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 uh, it was a, it was a you know coming. But when I'd come back home from from Japan, you know, it was just like being in a foreign country almost <laughs> at the sportatorium, uh, and, and you know everything was different. You know, uh, we didn't have anybody in world class like uh, USW head with Jerry, you know, with Lawler. You know, the, the having a talent being so influential in the whole thing too—that was part of it. And that was—it was just, it was just odd, odd situation for us. James, did did uh, I tried to look for it on YouTube, but I couldn't find it. You you had a wrestling match with a mutual friend of me and Mister Briscoe's. <laughs> that's brother love, Bruce. I, I hope you never find it. <laughs> I'd love to see that, John. I'll pay you to find. Do you think that by any chance that's what killed USWA? Well, no, no, <laughs> that, that, that Bruce, actually Bruce Pritchard, Bruce Pritchard no, no, killed USWA. It, it, it could, it had the possibility of killing any territory, but it actually happened. In, <laughs> it actually happened. So in we Gordon. got you on record, James, to say brother love Bruce Pritchard killed a territory. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brother love Bruce Pritchard killed USWA. It, it, yeah. Well, it, it was. It actually happened in global. 
to be honest with you. Uh, this was after after USWA had left. Kevin actually came back in and tried to run for a little while. TV was gone, and, and, and it just it was impossible. And plus, Kevin's not uh, not the business guy, you know, to run a company. And and uh, well, he killed Global and USWA. Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. And killed two <laughs> territories. Killed, killed, yeah, went back in time and killed USWA. <laughs> yeah, we, we, but, but to be honest with you, that was Eddie Gilbert's fault because he, he came up with the idea. He, he came to me and he said, I, I, don't, I, want you to, I want you to quit refereeing for a few weeks. And 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 have wrestling matches with Bruce, and I'm like, what? <laughs> that was probably Bruce's ideal, though. Even though yeah, another guy can't do Bruce's ideal. <laughs> yeah, it could. Be. I can blame him. That'd be okay with me. But the, you know, he thing? invented the headlock. Bruce Pritchard didn't have invented the headlock. He even gave Ed Stringer Lewis that man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way you get that thing over is walk around and squeeze that man. Well, Nobody well, else. Let's listen to his podcast. He's invented everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you how this started. You know, Bruce Bruce had, had been working for Vince and whatever happened happened and he he left for a while. He's been Ed's fired a couple of times. Yeah, well, he okay, got I, fired. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he starts working with us and, and he was he was he was managing uh I don't Mike Davis, I think, and maybe a couple other guys, Dark Patriot, uh, Doug Gilbert. And um had a had a, a a battle royal, and I was outside in the battle royal, and the gimmick was is that his guy he was going to jump up on the apron at some point, and I'm going to reach up and pull him down. But when I reached up and pulled him down, I pulled his pants down. And you said Bruce <laughs> jump up on something. Well, he climbed up on something. <laughs> he crawled. He crawled up on the apron. Okay. It was a long match, Jerry. (laughs) Yeah, and stood up. And I reached up and grabbed him. And when I did, I pulled him down. And all he had on was a thong. No! No! That was was the most horrible sight I've ever seen in my life. And I'm this far from it. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That should have killed the angle right there. But but anyway, anyway, yeah, well, you know, so. So after the after the battle royal, I'm laughing at him and I'm walking off and his guys attack me and they you know and all that's what started it all. So Bruce and I had a, we had a boxing match and or two or three wrestling matches with Eddie and and Terry Garvin or Terry Terry Sims, and uh, they, they were my partners and and then Mike Davis and and Doug and and, and Bruce on the other side. And, we had several of those, and Bill Irwin actually refereed the the blow off match. And the the blow off match was somebody had to pull somebody's pants down, right? <laughs> Naturally, this is yeah. a this is a Memphis thing, you know. You know how that Eddie Eddie thinks sometimes, you know. And uh, and thank God, I mean, I, I almost would have taken mine off without having to pull his down and look at it again, but I did win it. <laughs> he had, did, did he have a thong on again? Of course. What, does does he always wear a thong? Well, that makes you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it makes you wonder. Well, as long as I've known him, where did he get an extra, I, extra, extra large dog? <laughs> he's been around that booty of his. You, you, you may still have those songs. You might want to ask him about that. As Terry Funk would, would say, Bruce Pritchard, you have childbearing hips. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Almost all morning for that match. I couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah, well, so obviously, I'm hoping you never find it. 
Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I we you know like a couple of weeks ago we had hornswoggle on. There was this impossible tape. You know we had about the chicken and 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 the hornswoggle. Yeah, yeah. And that guy up in the corner there actually traced it down, and I got permission from the WWE from the Empire. Right. <laughs> to air it on Briscoe and Bradshaw's show. Oh wow! And so you better be careful what you wish for. Here. We'll I, find out if, if, yeah. if it exists. If it exists, footage of Bruce and I. I, I hope they they don't allow anybody to show it. If it exists, we're, we're <laughs> well, going to probably our get our account suspended from Twitter. If we <laughs> quite <air>. possible. <laughs> quite possible. <laughs> And I had to go back to Japan after that because all you guys were taking pictures of this, right? You know, <laughs> you know, and then you know how it is over there. They know what happens over here. So, you so there is some there pictures like, out there. Uh, what you're saying, then, right? There, there would be some. Even if there's no footage, there's got to be some pictures of those Japanese guys. Yeah, you? I'm afraid so. Yeah, <laughs> we're going on a hunt. So, so James, before you go, I want to ask you a little about Japan. When you started in Japan, you started with Tenru, right? Yep. And that was the that was the split of Anoki and Tenru, and yep. Tenru was working with. Well, it was actually Baba and Tenru. Oh, Baba and Tenru. I'm sorry, yeah. all Japan, yeah. not Japan. So Baba and Tenru split. That's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Of course. Yeah. And yeah. And then uh, Tenru was also working with WWE at the time, right? Uh, actually, when it first started, they, they opened the company up, and when when uh, Sakurada, uh, Kendo Nagasaki, Sakurada, you know, however you, however you know him. Um, he asked me to go over there. They were going to have a, a two night opening deal with, uh, in Yokohama and, and, uh, uh big ceremony, the big deal had like 17,000 people, two nights in a row in this, in that, in that arena. And, and, uh, and the whole idea of that company was to be a strong style. And then that was, that was the philosophy. Um, what happened at some point, uh, I, I don't know why Tenu wanted to work with Vince, but some reason. I mean, obviously the 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 uh, connection and the and the publicity and all was a big deal. Uh, but anyway, he made that deal with them, and that caused a lot of friction inside the the SWE company. A lot of the traditional Japanese guys didn't like the deal because they thought that that what Vince was doing at the time on TV was totally opposite of what the philosophy of the company was supposed to be. And that caused a lot of lot of infighting, and eventually that company split because of that too. And that that's when Sakurada took his part, and and obviously you know, and I, I was helping book that, and and that's when I brought you over. So hmm. th there there was a there was a lot of you know how the politics go over there, the same as it is over here, you know. And thank goodness you put me with Bob Orton that first tour as a tag partner, so I got <laughs> able to get through it. Bob. You know, let me. I think I told you this story, but but the the, the first time I went to Japan, uh, Bob was on the tour, and then they were taking they did the first when the first several tours over there, it wasn't involving with with Vince's group with the WWE Elf at the time. Uh, they, they were bringing some of the top guys from the states over in different places, and 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 Bob was one of them. And uh, so, so we're 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 over there, and, and and we get there, and you know how it is in Japan when you get there late, you're tired, you know, you all you want to crash. Everybody goes to their room. Well, they they put us in this place in a kind of a residential area, and Bob Bob's first thought was, he said, yeah, they put us here because they don't want us to get in trouble, and and then it's probably right because there wasn't anything around there. I mean, nothing, no clubs, no nothing. Well, 
we get there and everybody gets in the room and 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 Bob comes to my room and he knocks on the door. He says, he says, uh, come on, you go with me. And I'm going like, man, I'm tired. He said, trust me, go with me. If you don't go with me, you're going to wake up about two o'clock in the morning. And you're going to you're going to hate yourself. I said, okay. So we went and knocked on everybody's door and they all crashed. They didn't want to go with us. I said, I'm going to go with a guy that I learned by then to listen to the veteran, right? You know, so so we take off and we're going to walking around. We find a, find a place we stop. We may drink a beer or two and they, they cut us off. Said, we're closing like nine or 10 o'clock at night. You know, <laughs> Bob said, oh man, they really did it to us this time. So he said, come on. So we go walking around and we, we go, we find this tunnel. I mean, like down underneath the street almost. And, and there's this club and you walk in there and there's all these Japanese businessmen there and half of them don't have fingers, you know, they're <laughs> like this. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I want to be here or not. But we walk in and, and this host comes up to us and she says, uh, you want, we want to help you. And she's Bob says, okay, yeah, we're going to spend 6,000 yen. That's it. 6,000. Okay. Okay. So they set us down. Of course, we're sitting there for about an hour or so. <laughs> and and Bob looks at me and he said, I think we've probably overdone the 6,000 yen. He said, so we probably ought to leave. And I said, okay, I'm just following you. I didn't even know what a yen was at the time. And, and so the girl comes over. She said, okay, your bill's 12,000 yen. Uh-huh. <laughs> Bob says, no, 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 no. I told you I'm spending 6,000 yen. That's all I'm spending. That's it. You know how Bob could be. He just that gruff voice and everything. The girl goes, but but you spend twelve thousand. Bob said, I don't care how much I spent. Six thousand. That's all you're getting. Well, she runs off and gets the the, the manager of the club. He comes down there and he tells uh, he knew who Bob was for some reason. You know, I guess they'd seen him over there on TV or something. He said, Mister Orton, twelve thousand yen, please. Nope. I told you six thousand yen. That's all I'm spending. Told the girl that the guy, the guy goes on back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Bob said, okay, I'll tell you what. And this is kind of getting loud. And you can see all these guys over there watching us, you know, and looking at us and they're all real dead serious. And I'm like, man, I want to get out of here alive, you know, somehow. And Bob said, I'll give you 12,000 yen. But when I give it to you, I'm going to squeeze your head like a grape. And the guy goes, no, Mr. Orton, 6,000. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, Bob gives him 6,000 yen and all these guys start laughing. And I'm like, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> I, I Bob Orton stories and I'm finally a part of one, you know, and I, I, I hope I live through it. I don't think I've ever told the story. I, I don't know if you were there for the memorial service, but one time we were in Japan working for Kendo Nagasaki, Mr. Sakurada, and we're on the Jap- Volcanic Springs on the westerly side of Honshu across the, the, the island. And we go down there and we have a drink or something after the last match. And a couple of Japanese guys come in and have, have uh, you know, sit with us for a while and in a big hotel volcanic pool. And then they leave. And then if you remember on the way back, oh, those uh, Japanese. Yeah, that, that was guys, the hotel underneath. The, they had the hot springs underneath there, right? That's right. The whole thing was hot yeah, springs. Yeah, yeah, I was there, so yeah. We get back to Narita, Jerry, and the office all comes up, and they're, and they're very serious about something. And I don't know what it is, but they're not telling us, so it's none of my business. So we get on the plane and go back. Then I find out that on the way back, one of these young guys was driving the ring truck, had a wreck, and died on the yeah. way back to, uh, Narita, to Tokyo. So I found that out when I was back in Texas. So I realized I've got one of the last pictures or the last picture of this kid alive. So wow. I developed, I developed a picture 
and I sent it to Mr. Sakurata in, a, in the Japanese office. I said, hey, please give this to the family. I wrote him a nice little note. Just want to let you know last night your, your son was having a great time, and uh, he seemed like a great young man, and I sent him a picture. Never heard a word back. So we go the next tour, and Mr. Sakurata, Kendo, grabs me and says, we got, we got to go. So I assume we're going with sponsors. We go to this place where everybody's dressed up, and there's a picture of this young man. And it's a memorial service for this young man. They had me speaking at wow. this memorial service. I and remember so, that. Yeah. I tell, I tell Ken, I said, Kendall, I didn't know him. I, I don't even know his full name. I, I said, I just took a picture and it was the last picture. So I sent it to him and I, I said, I, I can't give you, I can't give you eulogy. I said, he seemed like a great guy, but I don't know him. And Kendall says, it's okay. Nobody speaks English. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I get up. And give a eulogy for this young guy. And everybody's like, oh, did, I didn't know him. I didn't even know his full name. I just, I'd seen him that night, took a picture. I knew I saw yeah. him around, but that was it. His family all came up and said, thank you so much. They thought I was one of his best friends or something. I don't know. I said, <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the kid was pulling the ring truck and are or, or part of the ring crew. And, and one of the young boys that we were training also. That's you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I ended up giving a, a eulogy at his wake, and and uh, <laughs> I didn't know it until I got there. And so I just got up there and just like I, acted like I was talking about somebody that I knew very well, and, <laughs> and told generic, you know, like he was like, yeah, great, all this stuff. I thought nobody understands me anyway, and everybody was they were so thankful afterwards. And I thought, oh my goodness, what, what just happened? <laughs> Wow. James, we had Orton on last week or a couple of weeks ago, and we tried to get the story out of him where he was barred from that one island in Japan and they had to leave him behind for three days while they went over there and worked. And John was on one of those tours, and yeah. Bobby Bobby conveniently couldn't recall the, the situation there. Well, what, what, whatever happened when, when to, to cause him to be barred from that place happened when he was working for a different company. And and uh, but but evidently <laughs> evidently it, it didn't change when he went to work with us. So he, he was uh, uh, yeah, we had to drop him off. He couldn't get even go with us. <laughs> evidently, Bob had a lot of fun in Japan. <laughs> He's a lot of fun anywhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's a story we got uh, up, and uh, Jerry has a picture of it, uh, where he and uh, Terry Funk terrorized a, a fishing village one time with a motorcycle they got from a uh, junkyard. So, I've heard, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We rebuilt two motorcycles, and and it cost <laughs> fifty dollars a piece, and we terrorized. We got shut down by the police one night, and uh, threatened to get taken to jail the next day if we didn't didn't surrender our motorcycles. I got a picture of Terry's helmet. He actually had a helmet on. He found an old war helmet in that junkyard, and he wore the helmet. Briscoe, I'm safe, and you're, you're going to have brain damage, but he's the one that ended up with <laughs> What a character he is. You know, what, what, what a partner to have in Japan. I mean, oh, I can imagine, yes. Yeah. But, James, I, I want to thank you for, for coming on here, man. It's been fun. It's been a quick show. I look forward to seeing you uh, in July and, and Waterloo. I'm having uh, our, our critique, our, our camp there, uh, our, our evaluation camp. We're going to have a record amount of, of people there. So uh, 
look forward to seeing you at the Dan Gable Museum at the Thea's Tragus Hall Absolutely. of Fame. Which, by well, the way, uh, Mr. Layfield's a member of also. He's a member of so many Hall of Fame here, you know. Oh, stop you it. You can't name all of them. You're the one that put me in and then hacked my phone. <laughs> he did. It, I tell you what, you know, just, to, just to plug that though, that's one of the greatest experiences though to, to go to that. It's just a, such a wonderful situation, and the whole the whole atmosphere is is just really pleasant and and, and professional, and and I, I loved it there. You know, and, and, and Co- I, Coach Gable, Coach back. Gable gets right involved. I mean, you absolutely think he was yes. part of a professional yes. family, which yeah. he is. I mean, he's so welcoming me there. I mean, he, he's a first class uh, gentleman there, and uh, yeah, all the guys that go there, one of the first things they want to meet. Uh, seeing me to, uh, is Dan Gable. I mean, you yeah, know, well, and Dan, Dan's the same. If somebody comes in, you know, he has grandkids and kids. They all grew up watching professional wrestling, sure. so he don't try to hide. I mean, he, you know, he respects what we do. And, you know, somebody there, they, he, he, one of his grandkids, he's going to get an autograph for his grandkids. So he's, it's he's cool. It's really it's cool how the, how the two worlds blend and combine there. Yes. And, uh, like I said, John came up and made some, a couple of big announcements, uh, while he was there, ah, we had to too long to go into. It was a it was a bad <laughs> night. It was a Briscoe night in Brisket. Oh my goodness! <laughs> if I live to be a thousand, I will never get him back good enough for what he did to me in Waterloo. I, <laughs> I, I promise. I could live four hundred <laughs> lifetimes and not get him back. And it was, it was people awesome. just can't get the overall. only thing I regret was I didn't think of it to do it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, James, another it's about plugging stuff. Tell us about what you're doing now before you go but with SWE and what's going on, how you can watch, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, we, we started SWE a couple of years ago now, and and, uh, and it's really grown uh, in, in the last two years and and, and gotten to a point to where we're, uh, you know, we're, we're on, I don't know how many stream, streaming services and broadcast stations now, and and, and uh, we're drawing big crowds. Uh, we, we're, we're trying to do things the way we used to do them. It's 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 a uh, it's something I think that that both you guys would appreciate and uh, you know it's it's still a growing it's still a growing process right now for us but it, we're we're very passionate about doing it the way we're doing it and and, and uh, we've got some good people working with us you know I I work I do the work the TV to write the TV with Teddy Long who's a good friend of yours and <laughs> yes. and uh, and and Kevin Sullivan and and uh, you know we we all kind of beat get our heads together and put it together. And, and, uh, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. And I did it by myself the first year, you know, and then been working with those guys since then and, and, uh, really enjoying the experience. And then, and, and we're, we're, we're making some strides right now. We're hoping that, uh, hoping that, that, uh, you know, after this COVID thing is kind of out of the way that, that, uh, things will break loose for us. And, and, and so far so good. That's awesome. James. Good for you. Still in the business, still doing great things. No trying. Yeah. Well, James, I love you. You've been a great friend for ever since the first day I met you at the Sportatorium, and uh, it's always great to see you. Thanks for coming on with me and uh, Mr. Briscoe, my my Oki friend. It's good to have two Texans against one Oklahomian. Well, I'm I, don't, used to I don't know it. how we came out on that, but we'll, 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 it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it. I always is. You know, I love you too. And, and, and Jerry, I got so much respect for Jerry, you know, that just, just a wonderful guy, you know, even if he is from Oklahoma and, <laughs> uh, and you know, it's, it's always a pleasure to be around him. And, 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 uh, you know, that's another learning experience for me, you know, and, and, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on.